Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. If you're an ambitious woman who wants to advance in leadership, then this podcast is for you. This podcast is co-hosted by Nikki Barua, digital innovator, serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker, and Monica Marquez, senior corporate leader, ex-Googler, and diversity expert. From inspiring stories to cutting-edge strategies, you'll learn how to develop the skill set, mindset, and tool set to get future-ready fast and accelerate your success. Hi, I'm Monica, your host for today's episode. Paula Schneider is a highly accomplished leader with a remarkable career spanning over three decades in the fashion industry. She has held prestigious positions such as CEO of American Apparel, as well as leadership roles at renowned brands like BCBG and Speedo. However, Paula's journey took an unexpected turn when she transitioned into the nonprofit sector as the CEO of Sujin G. Komen. What sets her apart is her personal connection to the cause, having battled breast cancer herself. This firsthand experience fuels her passion and drives her commitment to make a difference in the lives of others. Paula's expertise in strategic leadership and her ability to navigate complex challenges have been instrumental in her successful transition into the nonprofit world. Her story serves as an inspiration for individuals considering a career transition, showcasing the power of following one's passion and finding purpose in meaningful work. Visit GoBeyondBarriers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Paula. Welcome, Paula. Thank you so much for joining us on the Beyond Barriers podcast. We are thrilled to have you here. And I want to dive into your journey and, you know, how you've um, landed where you are. You have an amazing kind of history where you've been in corporate, where you've held senior leadership roles, right? CEO of American Apparel and now CEO of nonprofit Susan G. Komen. Um, and so want to really kind of start with your journey, like where did you, you know, did you think when you were younger that you were going to end up where you are now? And what was that journey been like for you? Oh, hell no. That would be the last <laughs> place that I would think that I would end up or nor think that I would want to end up. Um, you know, I've been in the fashion industry my entire career and mm-hmm. it spanned over about a 30 year time frame. And uh, during that, um, I was, uh, I was, I ran many, many companies. I'm sure I have many things that I've designed that are in your closet over the course of the years. Um, because, you know, it was something that I did. I, I literally sold the first dress of BCBG and built that business up. And then I went to laundry by Shelly Siegel and we made the cutest prom dresses in the world. And then I went into Speedo and, and the largest swimwear company and learned all about competitive swim and, you know, I ran my own factory base and lots and lots of changes there from just, you know, learning as you go. Uh, and then I went into private equity and we ended up buying companies. And then I came back out and ran American Apparel, which was its own bucket of crazy and um, then I was at Seven for All Mankind, um, and I was either president or CEO of all of these companies. Mm-hmm. CEO was the later in my career. And I remember very distinctly, I was um, getting an award for being one of the top female retailers in the country at this uh, at the Women in Retail Conference, which is a great conference because it's super fun. You mm-hmm. to see all your friends, and it was always held in a in it was in Miami, and it was beachfront, and you know, so everyone would go, and you got great swag, and it was super. It was just a fun place to go. And I um, remember I have my friend who was the uh, CEO of Chico's at the time, and she and mm-hmm. I 
um, decided we were going to hook up there and meet and, you know, have breakfast. And so we had breakfast the very first morning. And I just happened to run into her as we I walked in and there's, you know, 1000 people there. So it's not that it wasn't that common. So we went and we sat by ourselves because mm-hmm. we were both running publicly traded companies. And we had a very candid conversation with each other is like, we really wanted to do something different. Um, mm. that was more meaningful. And I could g- give a rat's ass if I sold one more pair of jeans to Bloomingdale's. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, you know, I could do it. I could do it all day long, but I didn't really care if I did it or not. And I was feeling that I wanted to do something that was more meaningful. And I am a breast cancer survivor. While I was at Speedo, um, I, you know, was diagnosed and went through treatment and, and you know, was the, the year of living dangerously. Mm. Um, and, you know, and then I had had um, a few other jobs after that. Um, but I just got to the point where I wanted to do something more meaningful. And so mm-hmm. I had to get up and give a speech. And I remember the night before I was trying, it was about women's empowerment and, you know, and, and as many of, of the women's groups are, and she mm-hmm. fancy that. And uh, we, I was supposed to speak about um, something that was empowering and lead it back to retail. And I had nothing. So I got up and I completely punted and I talked about being the most powerful when I was the least physically powerful when I had breast cancer. Because mm-hmm. when you're used to being large and in charge, you run your business, you run your family, you run your social life, you, you know, manage your home, um, you know, all of the things that you do mm-hmm. as a leader when you're a woman. And um, it just, and then you can't. I literally, you know, I was in chemo and I had um, triple negative breast cancer, which is one of the most deadly kinds of breast, breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not an easy um, protocol at all. Right. And chemo would just literally wipe me out. And I was the sickest I'd ever felt in, in my entire life. And I literally couldn't get to the bathroom by myself. And you had to allow for people to help you and your support team and your support system to come into play. And, you know, it was an amazing experience on all the friends that just surrounded around you and around me and, and helped me through. And I was, so I was talking, it was from the heart. It was, you know, very heartfelt of what had happened to me and why I felt it was so empowering. Um, and when I got done with my speech, I, I, instead of going to my table that had my people at it, I went back and sat with my friend Shelly again from Chico's. And she was, uh, she was, she just literally, I sat down and she said, wow, that was amazing. And I just got an email from a friend of mine that's a recruiter in Dallas, and they're looking for a new CEO for Susan G. Komen. Would you ever consider that? And I said, hmm, yes, I would. And it didn't happen that quickly. And she's like, oh my God, I'm going to, I found you. I'm going to let them know. And, you know, mm-hmm. and by the way, finding me, I'm a, a retailer, a wholesaler, a designer, uh, you know, in, in the apparel sector, never been in philanthropy in my life other than I had been five years out from a diagnosis or so, and, or maybe a little bit more at that point, um, 10 years. And I had raised a lot of money for breast cancer. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was just because it became, you know, it started out as sort of a a little thing where I got an email or I got a thing in the mail for the Avon walk when I was so sick. And I thought, you mm-hmm. know what, I'm going to do this. And if I'm going to raise $5,000 and over the next five years, we raised almost half a million dollars. Wow. And, that is phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, it just took on a life of its own, yes, you know, absolutely. and, and um, so 
And then, I, and then my friends got really burnt out because <laughs> I made them walk 39 miles. We had to have a party every year that was like a wedding and, you uh-huh. know, like literally. Um, so they had to raise money and um, it was a really, really great time and a lot of bonding, but, you know, it's a lot. So after five years, I was looking for someone, something else to put my mission into. Mm. And so then I interviewed for Komen for, Literally, they brought me to Texas three times in the summer from LA. Okay, who does that? If you really want someone to take the job, <laughs> exactly and, in the hundred, the hundred plus, the hundred degree oh plus summer. And it was, you know, and I thought, oh, could I do this? And so I ended up moving from LA to Texas. I got the job, but before I, you know, when I was interviewing, when I was in the process, I told the board of directors there that listen. If you guys find somebody, I think I'd be really good at this. But if you guys find somebody that you think would be better. You need to hire them because this is incredibly important to me. I have two adult daughters. Um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, my hair, my husband carries a BRCA gene mutation. I do not. Um, so, you know, this is a, this is a major thing for me, right? This mm-hmm. is so personal. And all of the work that I do is illustrative of finding a cure so that my daughters don't have to go through this and, and, my daughters are illustrative of every other woman that is out there and everyone else's daughters that are in the next generation that we need to find a way to, to stop this. So Mm -hmm. it was very much a circuitous route, not something that I ever planned on doing, but Mm -hmm. for me, the very first day that I walked into our offices and there's a big pink wall right outside my office. And it said, the work that you do here saves lives. And I thought, you know what, what an onus, how cool is that? And what a mm-hmm. responsibility that is. Yes. Very yes. humbling. I love that. And I, you know, what I, what I hear here is the, the passion, there was an alignment or there were these, this like, you know, synergy of, what really kind of you found passion in your work and bringing it all together, bringing the expertise that you had kind of garnered and gained throughout the years at all of these other organizations. What I really want to drill down to is the important thing you said, you know, you were, you were a CEO and retail, a designer, like all of these different things. And for most people, they wouldn't see the connection of being able to go to nonprofit and, um, and make that, change lanes, right? There's so many times where we hear women saying, well, I couldn't do that. I don't know anything about that industry or that organization or whatever that might be. Um, can you talk a little bit about maybe some of the challenges that you were fighting internally with yourself, or maybe even other people were challenging you about and making and shifting from kind of like C-suite retail to C-suite nonprofit? Yeah, it's different. I remember one of my best friends said to me, what the hell do you know about that? What are you, you going to do? You're going to walk in there the first day. What are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to listen and I'm going to mm-hmm. figure it out. Because, you know, I, I do think that women, um, you know, in general, and we know this to be true because there's statistics that show that if there is a job description and you, there are 10 things you need to know, if a man has two, he'll think he's qualified and a woman feels that she has to have eight or nine in order to feel qualified. Exactly. And, you know, and it's amazing when you have managed people and you are, you know, you've been a leader in different areas. A lot of this is just transferable skill set. Yes. The widgets are different, right? And mm-hmm. what you're doing is different. And certainly, I, I do not have a medical background. The person that I replaced was a doctor. So, mm-hmm. But you know, I, I have um, a practical background. Of, we are a patient advocacy organization, and I mm-hmm. 
was a patient, and I can talk to that firsthand. That wouldn't have alone qualified me by any stretch, but mm-hmm. it certainly helped me with the passion to want to do this and the understanding. And I think I think it's great for um, nonprofits to have people that have run for-profit organizations because mm-hmm. you think about things a little bit differently. Um, and you bring to bear your your expertise and your skill set. Uh, but I do think that women underestimate their abilities w- to problem solve, um, mm-hmm. and to figure things out. And, you know, I've learned so much in the last, I've been here almost six years now, and I've learned a tremendous amount about the glories of the cell cycle mm-hmm. <laughs> and things that, things that I would never really want to know about. And I'm still very, very surface. I remember, mm-hmm. you know, we have a scientific advisory board that's made up of the top docs in the world of breast cancer. And there was a lovely man, Dr. George Sledge from Stanford, who ran Stanford Oncology. Mm-hmm. And he um, he was our head of our scientific advisory board and, you know, wanted to meet me and I wanted to meet him, right? And so we had our first dinner and I thought, oh my God, what am I even going to talk about? You know, I'll uh-huh. be well-dressed, right? Because, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and here he's just exactly like you think he comes he's in we're in Palo Alto he rides his bike to the restaurant you know he's he got gray hair and little spectacles and he's <laughs> he's just adorable so we were having a very nice dinner and it, the conversation was flowing easily and he said to me well listen you know if you'd like I can give you a little tutelage on all the medical terms and all the medical things that you're going to need to know and you know in order to be you know like more effective and I, I sat back and I thought, and I said, you know, George, let's be real here. Okay. I am fashion girl that is coming in to run a cancer advocacy organization. Uh-huh. I, it'd be like me trying to learn Chinese and dealing with the top level of the government. Why don't you let me do what I do really well, which is mm-hmm. bring breasts and the brightest and the smartest together. And you, uh, you accompany me mm-hmm. when there are things that are going to be very technical because no one's going to believe it. Even if Mm -hmm. I start espousing my glories of the cell cycle, no one's going to, I didn't go to medical school. I don't have 50 years of background in that. Mm -hmm. So let's let, I'm not even going to try to be that person. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be the person that is the leader of the band and that will bring the best and possible brightest minds together and create the strategic initiatives that we need to propel ourselves forward, but not, be the one that has to be the smartest person in the room because I will never be the smartest person in the room mm-hmm. and almost any room, but certainly not this room. Mm-hmm. So, and we, we had, we forged a wonderful partnership and a, you know, and he was incredibly helpful to me. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, I wasn't, I was helpful to the cause because I, I bring the brightest and um, together and we, we create the strategic initiatives that we need but, you know, I, I, I recently wrote an op-ed and it's called the imposter syndrome. Yes. Um, uh, you know, for me personally, there has not been one job that I have had that does not have a recurring dream where I am in a boardroom or I am in some kind of meeting and they're all talking about something that I know nothing about. I can't even mm-hmm. follow the conversation. And, you know, and it has happened to some varying degree Right uh, along the way, because there's been things, you know, that when you take over and you have to learn a new skill set, you you have to listen and learn it, but you're not expected to know everything. Mm. You cannot be the best at everything. So, you know, don't even try. I love that. And I love that you, I'm so glad you brought that up. And, you know, in, 
I commend you for being so courageous and vulnerable and sharing that, right? Because I think most people will see someone like yourself who has had the C-suite title for a decade or more, thinking that everything is buttoned up and all put together and that, you know, you do know all of the things that you're supposed to. We, they said, you know, some people have this perception of, um, that you do have to know all the answers and that you have to do this. But I love, there were a couple of things that you did. You talked a little bit about understanding, knowing, you know, your, like your superpower and that you really can leverage community and bring together the best and the brightest to get the things done. And you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You just bring all together all the smartest people in the room. Um, yeah. And you're one among them, right? Um, I think that was really, really powerful in, in really giving a good example about leveraging community and the people around you, but also the fact that you don't have to um, be able to do it all, like this superhuman ability to be able to do it all. Uh, can you talk a little bit of more around, you know, and I think maybe this this you can share with us, but in this this idea around courage and bravery and going, you know, moving forward despite the uncertainty. I mean, you did it when you got diagnosed with cancer. You've done it when you've gone to these different jobs where you there's a lot of uncertainty. What would you say is the one thing that helped you keep moving forward? Well, I think keeping calm. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I joke, but not really. There was when I started in American Apparel, which was, you know, it was the largest apparel manufacturer in, in the United States. And it was literally the very, I wasn't even employed yet. It was Christmas Eve day. And I was at the factory and the factory's huge, seven floors, two buildings, mm -hmm. almost 800,000 square feet. I don't even know where I am in these buildings because I hadn't started yet. It was like the first or second time I'd even been in the building. Mm -hmm. And I was bringing some people that I was th thinking of hiring to help me um, and taking them on like a very informal tour throughout mm -hmm. the building. And I... um I'm on, I don't know what floor I'm on, but I see the head of retail now Christmas Eve day, right? You know, yeah. there's still thousands of people working and they're, mm -hmm. they're, they're all of the, the garment, um, the manufacturing is going on. The sewing machines are zipping along and, you know, yeah. they're making, making thousands and thousands of garments. And I see the head of retail running across the expanse, which is like a football field towards me. And I'm thinking, huh, that's interesting. And she, um, she comes up to me and says, there's a fire in the building. I'm like, okay, what do we do when there's a fire in the building? What is the protocol? And uh -huh. I'm like, not calm inside, but you know, mm -hmm. I'm radiating calm. And she said, I don't know. You know, we don't really have one. And I said, okay, well, who's here to help? Because it's Christmas Eve day, right? Nice. She goes, I don't know, no one. And I'm like, okay. And I said, how many floors are in the building? Seven. I said, what floor are we on? Seven. I said, okay. I want you to take four, three, and two, and I will take the seven, six, and five. Uh -huh. And I need you to clear everyone out of the building. Can you do that? And I don't know her. You know, yeah. I you know what her competencies are. You know, exactly. She said, okay. And so this gentleman walks by me and he's Hispanic, which, and I grab his arm and I say, hi. Do you speak English? Yes. And I said, okay, what is your name? And he tells me his name. And I have now a death grip on this guy's bicep, you know, and yeah. he's looking at me like I'm nuts. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm going to be the new boss that's coming in here next week. Um, but right now I need your help. I said, is, is Fuego fire 
in Spanish. Uh-huh. <laughs> he says, yes. And I said, okay, there's a fire. And I can see coming out of the elevator shaft is smoke. And it's the, the smoke is starting to fill. Mm-hmm. And all of these workers are still continuing. So yeah. we've got to get everybody out of the building, you know. And so uh-huh. we, we, we are walking through yelling fire. He's explaining in Spanish. I'm explaining in English. We're, I don't know where even where one walks down the stairs, but we get everybody out of the building. And I thought after, I mean, like I left there thinking, oh, my God, you know, this is like, you know, the fire's burning all around me. <laughs> just have to stay calm. Let's stay calm. I love that story. I'm going to have to share that story because that's like you said, inside you weren't, but you oh, had no. radiate calm and you literally became this girl is on fire. <laughs> so. it, it, yeah, there are fires around you. And if you can, mm-hmm. you know, and I guess also, you know, I will relate that back to having cancer because mm-hmm. your biggest concern in life is that you have children and that you will not be here to raise your children. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when, when I got diagnosed, my oldest daughter was going into high school and my med- my youngest daughter was going into middle school. So they were young and they, and I felt like it's super vulnerable ages and really needed their mm-hmm. mom. And if you have had to deal with a life-threatening disease, and mine was very life-threatening, mm-hmm. uh, the, you know, and, and you're concerned about leaving your children, after you get through that, nothing else can rattle you. I can imagine. Yes. Yeah. The resilience you build from that. Yeah. I mean, you know, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger and then you have to be able to use that and channel it. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I've been in turnarounds, like my background was in turnarounds and mm-hmm. not, not for Komen, although because of COVID that turned into a turnaround too, but just, you know, it's, it's staying calm and figuring out the rationale, making it, you know, deciding what percentage that you feel that you're going to be right, that mm-hmm. you're going to go on, you know, because some people wait till they're like 90%. Right. I'm like 70, 75% range and we move, mm-hmm. you know, so it just depends on what you're doing. And, and, you know, especially in a crisis mode and turnarounds, it may even be less than that. Mm-hmm. Right. You just think you got a gut and you go. I love that. And I love what you're talking about, because one of the things that we see in research and I saw it myself when I used to run promotion processes is that, some of those things that would hold women back weren't the meeting their KPIs or the revenue goals or any of those things. They were always knocking that out of the park. But what would hold them back was this idea of not being decisive enough or, you know, not, you know, taking too much time or procrastinating, like you said, till it was like 99% sure. Um, what would you say, like, you know, what helped you build, I guess, that muscle of 70, 70, 75% is good. Let's just move forward. What bid, what, what helped you build that muscle to make the decision sooner? But if things did go sideways, how did you remedy that? Yeah, I worked in turnarounds, right? Mm-hmm. And and by the way, when I worked at BCBG, which was my first, I had, you know, big role and mm-hmm. I sold their first dress and then we built it into like a $250 million company by the time I left. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the entrepreneurial side, right? And then mm-hmm. I went into all the, every every one of the rest of the ones that I had was a turnaround. Mm-hmm. Um, and in when you when you are in a turnaround situation, you don't have time to make mm-hmm. decisions, you know, that are, that are like, you can't take as much time with the analytics and all of that. Right. And, and really it's just, it's making those decisions, making them quickly and failing fast because you will fail on some yes. of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm all for taking risks, but understanding if you, if you fail, admit it and fix it, stop mm-hmm. what you're doing, start another path. 
And, you know, and that is that that's a that's a pretty in that's a very powerful tool if you use it correctly. Mm-hmm. You know, when, I love when, that failing fast. Yes. Fail fast as fast as you possibly can. And then, yes. and then of course, correct. And um, that's so powerful to use because research is so like women will just they, we tend to, you know, we stay in we start start spiraling downwards if we fail. Like we sit there and we kind of like stay in this like cloud of like failure instead of like failing fast, like, okay, what did I learn for that? Let me fix it and then move forward. I love that. When COVID hit, you know, and and of course everybody was you you remember the day. I remember the day. It was yeah. it was March twenty um the third was my birthday, right? So we <laughs> I was feeling having a big pity party because that we would stayed home and this was the first day that we stayed home and yeah. I couldn't be with my kids and you know, all those things were happening and I thought, okay, let's let's figure out what we're gonna do here. And mm-hmm. you know, you all had those conversations. Well, I'm not just gonna postpone my my vacation till the middle of summer and we should be right. fine. You know, having we had an affiliate structure, um, which was 63 different affiliates that come and that had their own governance boards. Mm. And each way that and about 75% of their revenue was based on bringing, you know, five to 10,000 of their closest friends together for a race or a walk. Mm. And I realized that, okay, if this goes on more than a six month period, then we are going to be out of business. And right. so, you know, I we, we made we decided to go completely virtual with all of our offices to save money. We didn't know if we were going to raise another dime. We mm-hmm. decided, um, and I got my board on board with this, which I have a fabulous board mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, and, and by the way, their hair was on fire with their world too, right? So, <laughs> yes. Know, everybody how much yeah. they're really going to care, but they did care. And, but, you know, they, they saw where I was trying to go and very, very quickly. And that we decided to go into a single incorporation and cut off all of the affiliate agreements and said, we're only going to take a certain percentage of the staff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but it made us much more efficient because all the affiliates had their own, you know, um, IT and their own finance and their own, you know, we had, and we had a a centralized version that could do it all. So we became much leaner and Mm -hmm. much, um, much more efficient. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was, you know, we went virtual, we went through, we had to have all of our, our races and walks as virtual events. Mm -hmm. We went to a completely um, single incorporation versus a, um, a, you know, affiliate network. Mm-hmm. And we did it all within like, you know, that 12 month period, mm-hmm. which was massive. The amount of work was massive and, and you know, learning everything. Mm-hmm. But that's where, that's where, you know, again, the fires are burning around me. And mm-hmm. for me, I can stay calm because no one's dying. I mean, right. people were dying of COVID, right? Which mm-hmm. was a horrible thing. But, right. you know, when you're making these decisions about a business, it wasn't a life or death situation. It exactly. was like this is we need to be here at the other end because the our stakeholders depend on us and there's no one to pick up the pieces. Mm-hmm. I love what you just said in terms of being that leader who that future ready leader of really anticipating and thinking ahead of time. Like if this happens and if this is still going on in six months, it's the end of us, right? What if you could pinpoint the invisible ceilings limiting your success? Imagine having clarity on your strengths and barriers so you can take action and gain unstoppable momentum to advance as a future-ready leader. Well, that's exactly what the Beyond Barriers quiz will help you discover. 
you'll get your personalized score based on the 25 essential elements proven to accelerate success in the digital age. So you can understand what's holding you back and where to focus your efforts. The Beyond Barriers quiz is completely free and takes just a few minutes. Go to imbeyondbarriers.com slash quiz and take the quiz today. Can you talk a little bit about being, you know, how do you stay, um, I guess, ahead of the curve, right? You're, you're always looking for the groundswell and you were thinking six months out, okay, let me make sure we're riding this wave and we're not getting crushed by the wave, right? Um, you know, what are some of the daily habits or rituals that you do to stay ahead, to kind of be that for, forward thinking leader? Confused with the facts. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, because you know, I, I'm a I'm a big proponent of the P and L guides all. Mm. Right? Because if you can't, if you can understand what your expense structure is and what your revenue structure is, and how you're going to um, manage between the two uh, and deliver, right? Mm. And, and 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 that's really you know it, it was really starts with being grounded in, in the the financials, because mm. if you are grounded in the financials, then you can make decisions. Um, and it's really getting as much data as you possibly can too, right? Because, you know, er- absolutely everything we do at Komen and I think most places that, you know, I've been that after a while have been well running um, are really creating the strategic initiatives that you need, following and executing and having accountability. And mm-hmm. people are really happy when they are, um, when they are accountable and they understand what they're accountable for. When they're realistic expectations, you can hit those expectations. You know, when we were talking earlier and we were talking about change and, and people understanding that, you know, you can do things that you didn't do before yeah. and, and failing at things. I had um, a, one of my jobs, I, you know, I was hired by one person and then that person left and I got adopted by another person and I didn't have the skill set that she wanted, mm. you know. And it, regardless of how, I mean, I had intellectually, certainly smart enough, yeah. but I didn't have the presentational skills that she wanted. And mm-hmm. I didn't know, I couldn't articulate what she wanted from me. And we, you know, and we were like friendly, mm-hmm. but we, we were crossing paths, right? She wanted something. Um, she was way, way, way more analytical. And I was way, way, way more aesthetic because, mm. you know, it, it was in the, the apparel sector. So to me, if you don't make an unbelievable product, then that's where your focus should be to mm. her. If you, if she's counting it. Right. And mm. I'm like, well, you yes. can't count it if it doesn't sell. And so, but it was when I was at, um, when I was in uh, private equity is when I learned these presentational skills. Okay. And it was already after having taken the hard knocks of not work that job not working out for me when I was a superstar when under one person and then yes. not under another person. And sometimes it just works out that way. And you know, it is part of your personal development of growing through the mm-hmm. ranks that you're not always, you know, it it there's always a big chance that if you are not um if you aren't if you, there's a change of your management that you are not going to make it through. And, mm-hmm. it, and it may not have anything to do with you other than somebody, their expectations of what your job should be. Yes. Right. So mm-hmm. it was, um, it's, it's figuring that out along the way too. But in, because I had all of these, you know, like Harvard MBAs and, and I mean, you, all these guys that worked in private equity that never actually run anything. 
Right, exactly. But, oh my God, were they analytical and their presentational skills were unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And I learned so much from my stint there of, you know, because you have, you're, you're trying to get someone to buy a billion dollar business or a hundred million dollar business or whatever it is. Uh-huh. And, you know, so you have to do a presentation to the investment committee on, on the why. And mm-hmm. I would look at these presentations and I would say, oh my God, had I had this skill set at my last gig, when I got my new boss, mm-hmm. I would have absolutely been able to show her what was intellectually in my head. Yes. So, and and I have used those same presentational skills that I, you know, and basically kind of templates. Yes. It's not even, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's not that you can't think about how you want to do it. It's how do you present it mm-hmm. and, and how do you make it so that it's easy for not only it, your employees to understand you, that you, they understand that you have a strategy. They understand what you, what is expected of them. There are metrics and milestones, but mm-hmm. also if you are a leader to show your board, my board meetings go very, very well. And they're very easy. Um, mm-hmm. Even if we're in a downturn, because mm-hmm. we're really, really good at explaining this is okay. We understand this is what we anticipated happening. This is what happened. Fast mm-hmm. fail. This is what the new tact is. This is where we're going, you know, so, and, and as long as everything is not failing at once, you mm-hmm. can take your wins in certain areas and amplify them and, and, you know, and hold hands together. I love that. And I love the idea or the example that you use that, you know, superstar under one leader, but not so much on the, on yeah. the other but even the, you know, crossing paths where there wasn't that clear communication where maybe that leader just avoided conflict and didn't have that courageous conversation to say, this is what I need from you. Well, or um, yeah, to help me understand. And I, I remember, you know, because I was very well liked by all of the staff and 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 it was, a I was the CEO of a division mm-hmm. and there was a bigger corporate company. And I remember the head of HR came out of the whole corporation and I sat down with her and I said, okay, so obviously I know why you're here. She, she wasn't there to let me go. She was uh-huh. there to have a conversation to see what the damage was going to be if they mm-hmm. went through with this plan. Right. And, you know, and I helped her through it. I said, look, you know, I'm, I'm very well liked here. And, you know, it, and I asked her, I said, is this a decision you would make? And she said, no, it's not a decision I would make my decision would be to help your boss understand that there are different ways of, to formulate success. Yes. But, you know, it didn't work out in my favor on that one. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. Yeah. And I love that. And you didn't let it, you didn't let it kind of, you know, lead you in the wrong direction. You just said, okay, upward and onwards, right? <laughs> this is like, yeah, onward I, I remember and- I, I left a, uh, I left a, a, you know, when I left my desk and, and I left a piece, I printed out this piece of paper that said that, uh, let's see, houses are built with the bricks that other people throw at you. Yes. <laughs> and, I, and I just left that on my desk because I thought, you know what, I'm stronger because of it and mm-hmm. it'll all be fine. I love that. Oh, well, this, that is a perfect kind of story to, to leave um, and to kind of start wrapping up and moving to our lightning round questions. Um, this will, this will share a little bit more because we've gotten to you. I love your stories. We've gotten to know you so well. And the lightning round questions uh, I love because they kind of are um, quick and fast and we get to, to see another side of, of you. Um, but the first question is, what book has greatly influenced you? Oh, let's see. I read voraciously, mm-hmm. um, but I'm trying to, I, um, 
I, I read, I, I don't know why, but I read a lot about uh, the Holocaust. Mm. And um, so, you know, I, I like Kristen Harmel's books on the Holocaust because mm-hmm. it shows the spirit of yes. humanity, both good and bad, right? Mm-hmm. But the ability to persevere under any kind of consequences. Yes. That's, that's you know, the, I just read The Paris Daughter, which I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I've read several of her books recently. Yeah. And I, and I love those because it gives you perspective of sometimes you think your problems are so vast, right? right? Massive. And then you read a book like that and you realize, okay, let me level set here. Yeah. I love it. I love it. What is your favorite inspiring quote or saying? Oh, don't sweat the small stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff. And you have shown that you don't sweat the sweat, the small stuff, even in your fire story. (laughs) Yeah. You you can't, you, you know? Yes. What is one word or moniker that you would use to describe yourself? <laughs> okay. It's funny because we just, uh, my birthday was in March and we had my family together and my son-in-laws and, um, uh-huh. and we were at, they asked the question around the table if they had one word to describe me. And uh, one of my, my son-in-laws who I love, I love them both dearly, but the, uh-huh. um, he said instigator. And I thought, you know what? That's probably true. Uh, because I, I instigate things just to see what happens. And, get them started, get them going. And it's also, you know, because humor is a huge part of, I, I got to find a good laugh every day. Uh-huh. So I would probably have to go with instigator. Instigator. I love it. I love it. What is one change, a habit, a behavior, some sort of action that you implemented that made your life better? Uh, I would say it was... It was literally finding the joy every day mm, you know, because yes. you're living life. And I was in my forties when I got cancer mm-hmm. and, you know, I was really happy in my life. There was a good career, wonderful husband, great family, beautiful kids, you know, the whole nine yards. Um, but I, I just think finding the joy. And then mm-hmm. while I went through cancer, I created a mantra that every single day I would say, I am happy. I'm healthy. And I'd go for whenever I could get out of bed, I'd go for walks. And I would say mm-hmm. it with every step. I'm happy. I'm healthy. I'm happy. I'm healthy until I became happy and healthy. Mm-hmm. So it's just ways to find the joy each and every day. I love that. And I love the, you know, the, the happy, the healthy, the mantra is like, you know, it's, you're telling yourself, it's just like, be kind because you're listening, right? You're listening yeah. to yourself and you're in your body and you, you kind of will it, you will it yeah. to be happy yeah. and healthy. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. So this is my favorite. So you've been on many stages. You address lots of people all the time. Um, you talked about the speech that you've given in the past. Um, what power song would you want playing as you walk out onto stage? Mm, celebration. Celebration. I love it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, celebrate good times. Aha. You know, there we go. Yes. And, and you got to celebrate the small things all the time, you know, like, yes, because absolutely. If we're always looking at the end goal, then yeah. Like, enjoy the journey. Enjoy you know, the journey. I, I unfortunately work with, you know, and get to know and lose people that I get to know because of working in breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it, it, life is short. You have no idea what tomorrow will bring. And you got to be able to celebrate every every good thing that happens in your life, big or small. Mm, I love that. Well, Paula, thank you so much. This has been such an amazing conversation. Thank you for giving us the time here on Beyond Barriers. And I know this 
we get it every single time. If I don't, if I don't ask you to share how people can connect with you, is it via LinkedIn, any other social media, um, you know, so that they can connect and follow you and hear more of your, the Paula isms that'll bring a laugh and some joy into their life. (laughs) Well, you know, first of all, if you ever want to help Coleman, there's many, many ways to either donate or volunteer at Coleman.org. That's, you know, because nothing's going to cure cancer other than cash because cash pays for research and it also helps in communities with all of the hundreds of thousands and millions of women that we help. Helping mm-hmm. us helps you. Um, and uh, the second thing is if you want to hit me up on LinkedIn, um, please feel free. And it's I'm Paula Schneider. And there, there are actually two. One is me and the other is <laughs> there's a lot, but I love this one that she is. I think she's the Miss um, Bolivia. So I am not the one in the bikini and, you know, but I'm sure you could mix us up, but uh, I'm I'm sure that poor Paula Schneider, this gorgeous creature that, you know, gets hit up for me all the time. So just know that I'm not Miss Bolivia. Okay. uh, Just the CEO of Cohen. I love that. Well, Paula, thank you so much. It's been wonderful getting to know you. And yes, for all of you all listening, please, um, you know, go to go to the Susan G. Komen website and donate. My mother, my fam, my aunts. I've we've had many of, of the races where we've raised the money, and we always surprise ourselves that we always like break the limit. So we're always pushing ourselves to to do more and more. But um, I can say personally that um, I saw how my mother and my family benefited from being part of the Susan G. Komen community. Yeah. Um, there was just a sense of belonging and understanding that um, that your organization offered my mother that I will never be able to say thank you enough. So, yeah. well, you know, it's, you it's part time. of the village, right? And yes, and, and we are the village of women. So if, if you want to help, it would be greatly, greatly appreciated because it's not easy to raise money now. No, absolutely. Well, we definitely, I think, you know, we should, we should consider connecting. I'm sure Beyond Barriers has a way that we can help and, and connect and partner and um, be part of the amazing community so that we can, like you said, get to some point where we, the research, we can hopefully eradicate this someday. That's the goal. I can't quit until uh, that happens. So come on, people. <laughs> All right, here we go. Thank you so much, Paula. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Barriers podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there, and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and tell a friend about it and subscribe to get new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Visit IamBeyondBarriers.com where you'll find show notes, links, and the best way to connect with our guests. See you next episode.